Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, the show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for coming back and joining me today again on Next on the Tee. We know you got a lot of choices out there for shows to listen to, and we really appreciate the fact that you've chosen Next on the Tee to be one of them. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and today, 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel is back with me to share more of his insights and his experiences, plus answer more of your questions as well. So Sean's going to be joining me here in just a few moments. So we're going to have a lot of fun this morning. It's going to be another insightful show. So I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me this morning. But before we get started, as you all know, our show goes out across the world, all over the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network, thanks to those guys. So we we want to send our thoughts and prayers out to everyone, all of our friends over in Paris for the horrible atrocities uh, with the bombings and shootings that took place over there, simply horrifying. May you and our brave men and women serving in our U.S. military around the world find peace and safety today and every day going forward. We, uh, we want to observe a moment of silence out of respect for all of those who have lost their lives and uh, whose lives have been taken not only from them, but their families as well due to these horrible terroristic acts. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Okay, Next on the Tee is brought to you today by our friends over at Seymour Putters. Let's get things rolling by hearing a word from our friends over there. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putts? Shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius. It's like locking radar onto the target. In this case, the golf hole. Putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open, 2007 Masters, and 2015 British Open champions all used, you guessed it, the Seymour Putter. So if you're ready to make more putts, take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com, and put a Seymour Putter in your bag today. Yeah, like Joe said, check out the putter technology to help win now three majors in 36 tour events and counting. 
because this year's men's British Open champion was using a Seymour putter. And it's going to help you make more putts, too. I know it's helping me. Check them out online at Seymour.com, and that's S-E-M-O-R-E.com, and get one in your bag. You're going to be very glad you did. We are also sponsored by the French Lick Resort up in French Lick, Indiana. Folks, you want to talk about a spectacular resort to play golf and to just relax and enjoy yourself. Well, you're not going to find a better place anywhere on the planet than the French Lick Resort. Go to FrenchLick.com and see for yourself. I had the privilege of taking my family there back in June, and we are already looking forward to the opportunity to get back up there as soon as possible. The, res- the resort, it's historic, it's beautiful, beautiful gardens out back behind the resort and a huge relaxing rocking chair porch all along the front and the golf, my friends. Oh my goodness, the golf. The Pete Dye course is kept in championship condition year round and they could be ready to host a major championship at a moment's notice. This year they hosted the Senior PGA Championship and the LPGA Legends Championship. So if you've always wondered what it would be like to play in major championship conditions, Well, you can do it up there at the Pete Dye course. They've also got the Donald Ross design course, which is also fantastic. It's the site of Walter Hagen's PGA Championship victory back in 1924. They also have the Valley Lynx course on the property that dates back to to 1907. So the French Lick Resort needs to be on your list of of, uh, places to stay and play. And oh, by the way, folks, they got a casino right there on the property for you as well. For more information and to book your stay, go to FrenchLick.com. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Allen Edmonds, maker of top quality made in the USA shoes. Folks, the shoes are great leaders from the Oval Office to corner offices, the stage and screen and promising cubicles all around the country are part of what make people successful. The right footwear is important on the carpets and the hardwood floors of our global economy. Get it right with made in the USA quality and value from Allen Edmonds. Allen Edmonds is an American original. They've been making shoes right here in the U.S. in Wisconsin since 1922. Check them out online at allenedmonds.com. All right, let's kick off today's show like we do every single week here on Next on the Team. That's by saluting our brave men and women serving in our military all around the world. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices and for what you do every day to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for all you've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate everything that our military personnel do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. Like we're finding out now every day, it's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have Next on the T be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. Also want to remind our veterans, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. Check it out, bookmark it, and check out, and you'll come back and check it and you'll, uh, as, you know, as often as you possibly can because they've got so many great news articles and insights for you, a wealth of information designed specifically for our veterans. I'm sure you're going to find that information both interesting and beneficial for you. So please go to globalvoiceforveterans.org. Okay, now back with me to answer more of your questions and share more of his insights on the Seymour Putters guest line is our really good friend, 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel. And I want to remind you about Sean's background because, you know, too much of what he was able to achieve, uh, unfortunately, doesn't go recognized like it should be. You know, he was one of the most accomplished players back in the early part of the 2000s before injury sidetracked his playing career. From 2000 until 2007, he obviously won the 2000 PGA Championship at Oak Hill. Three years later at the 2006 PGA Championship at Medina, he finished second to Tiger Woods. He had a third place finish in 2002, so it's not like he came out of nowhere 
to win the 2003 PGA champion, as some uh, would have you believe. In all, over that that eight-year stretch, he had 17 top 10 finishes, 48 top 25s, and he won over $7.3 million. And let's not for, you know forget that he came back from injury in 2010 and had three more top 10s that year, five top 25s, and won over a million dollars that season as well. So I want to keep reminding you know our golf fans and some media members as well that you know Sean McKeel is far from a one-hit wonder because there weren't many players better than he from 2000 until 2000. And if it wasn't for Tiger Woods, and I know many guys can say this, but Sean would be a two-time major champion right now. And he's back next on the tee with me again this morning. Good morning, Sean. How are you, my friend? Hey, good morning, Chris. How are you today? <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. So, Sean, you know, uh, the first thing I got to know, did you use the bullseye putter this week at the uh, at the web.com Q School tournament? And if you did, how did it work out yeah. for you? Yeah, I did use it. And, um, you know, as I said last week, I think it just kind of offered um, a more simple um, kind of technique, I think, um, you know, for, you know, the way it looks and, and just the simpleness of it just makes uh, it's just back and through type of stroke. But uh, I, I putted okay, and uh, the greens were a lot were slower than I had expected. You know, last year when I was down there, the greens got really quick. Uh the weather uh, was really cold and dry, and I think just it, uh, the greens were quick. And so I kind of expected quick greens. And, you know, when you use a bullseye putter, you know, there's not a lot of – just not a lot of mass there, which, um, you know, I like on fast greens. I don't like a whole lot, you know, really behind the ball. And uh, I putted okay. I didn't I didn't hit the ball particularly well, um, you know, for, for whatever reason. It was really wet. And uh, we put, they were playing lift clean in place for all the rounds. And, and um, you know, the last, I don't know, the last little bit, I kind of got into digging the ball a little bit. So I was having to putt for, for pars a little bit more than, I, than I'd wanted to. But, uh, yeah, the putter was there. And um, I think it's, it's a great, it's a great putter um, on bent grass green. And, uh, you know, even with the golf balls today, as firm as they are, it, it felt great. So, um, I, I suspect that I'll stick with it for a little while, but um, you know now I'm just kind of excited to be home, and and I didn't make it through the qualifying, so I've got uh, I've got some time to kind of digest my uh, <laughs> my plans and try to figure out what I'm going to do. Uh, but for right now, I'm going to spend some time at home and and uh, do some do some hunting with my family. All right. So, you know, as you look out, what is the process next for you to to uh, to get back out on tour? What can our fans, you know, our listeners and, and your fans uh, look forward to uh, for uh, trying to root you on for making your way back out on tour? Yeah, well, you know, as many people know, it it's uh, you know, we went to this uh, when they got rid of the PJ Tour qualifying school, which I think I think the 2012 PJ Tour qualifying school was the last one. Um you know, they've made it, the path of the PGA Tour is through the web.com, and, um, uh, you know, that tour is extremely competitive. It's, um, you know, just got a lot lot of young and talented uh, kids that uh, that play well, hit the ball a long way, and, um, you know, so so for right now, you know, this year I played I played five tour events. I didn't play any web.coms. I mean, even though I have status, I'm so far down, and I'd have to say there's got to be in excess of 400 members of the of the web.com tour so it doesn't leave a lot of room for players uh that are non-exempt to even get in so you're kind of left with monday qualifying and 
Um, of course, being a member, if I get into an event, make some money, then I move up into the reshuffle, which is, you know, which is great. But um, I don't know. It's just, uh, I think attitude has been a a big part of maybe my lack of success over the last year or so. I've gotten got a little bit disenchanted, I think, with the game. Um, but you know, my goals still remain the same. I think you, um, I've got to make some fundamental changes. I think in order to really. Uh, you know, get committed to get back out onto the PJ Tour. Now, I've been practicing hard, and I think that's just one aspect of it. The other is finding a teacher and, and having a, a plan um, to to get back and to uh, be, be a little bit more consistent in the in my approach to the technical aspects of the game. You know, I've talked to several people on the phone um, about meeting up with them in this winter and, and trying to get something going. So. So for right now, I and mean, those are things I need to do. It's almost like I'm starting back at square one um, again. But I, uh, I you know, I, I'd, I'd love to get back out there on the tour, but it's really the the onus is on me. And uh, uh, you know, how much of this do I want to do? Um, how much effort do I want to put into it? And I think those are some of the things that you see with other athletes um, when they get later on in their career. They get tired of the constant workouts, they get tired of just being away from home and doing all those things. Um and maybe I'm getting getting at that point, you know, right now. But um I still want to play. I, I I saw some good things out there in Houston, but there's just too many too many bad things. And most of that was probably attitude. So um you know, a lot of scar tissue built up over the years. So <laughs> I uh you know, I uh like I said I still want to play. But I, I look. I place no blame on on any one area. I think a lot of it is, as they always say, is kind of between the ears. And right, um, you know, I if if you want to be out there, you got to be committed and and you got to be kind of all in with this thing. And um, if you're not, um, then you either either just kind of just find something else to do, or you just kind of bide your time. And and which is what I've kind of been doing. I think really till I turned forty eight. I should have enough career money to get in the web.com tour uh, through the 48, 49-year-old category. So that's that's the plan right now. And you, you talk about attitude. And you know, Sean, you know, when, when something sort of becomes, you know, a grind or, you know, what becomes a job or that sort of thing, you know, at, at some point, do, do you look back in it and find, you know, it, it's got to be fun too, right? I mean, you can't. You can't just go out there hating, you know, you know, beating balls on the range and this, and you kind of you go through it. How do you get? How do you find the zest for the game or the fun part of the game? Or how do you get that? You know, as you talk about, and we talk about it on, you know, the show, you know, all the time yeah. with different instructors. When I, you know, because the game is played in that five-inch space between our ears, so it's yeah. like finding the love for the game, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly um, at the at the amateur level, I think when a when a when a uh, man or woman, when they go out there and whatever it is, you you play, you hit that one solid shot, and that kind of leads into a couple solid shots, and then you play a really good nine holes, and and you can. Um, I think everybody has different expectations for the game, and as and as a professional, you know the standard is pretty high, and um, you know when you get to the point where you know you're you're spending a lot more time maybe working on 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 ball contact, which which I seem to have been spending a lot more time doing, um, and I call that remedial. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm back in remedial uh, training where I'm, you know, I'm not hitting the ball solidly every single time like I once did. So, 
Um, you know, playing the game is certainly certainly beating balls is is uh, is not is not what you want to be doing. I mean, when there's when there's things to work on, whether it's a drill that you're doing, um, you know, you always have to have some sort of uh, goal in mind uh, for your practice, as opposed to just taking a big bucket of balls and just throwing it down and just start hitting. And I think I've kind of gotten into that a little bit. But um, the zest for the game comes from just, I think, the passion to want to uh, want to compete and to want to succeed and to want to challenge yourself. And um, when you when you kind of get out there and you hit a bad shot and you just don't care, um, you know, I think that's where, you know, you, you start to think about, uh, you know, whether you want to continue on doing this or, or – I mean, I – I look at my father's group and they go out there and they have fun and my dad doesn't hit it great um, anymore. He's getting older and he doesn't seem to care too much. And um, I just, I, I can't, I can't be, I can't ever imagine myself getting to that point, but um, you, you got to love it. You got to absolutely love, I love doing what you're doing. And um, I think seeing some of the success, is really really what makes you kind of come out. You know, they talk about people, oh, they come out and they birdie the last hole and they can't wait to get back out the next round. And I think that's kind of the same thing for, for me. You know, it's interesting, Sean. And, you know, we've we've talked, you know, about your experiences and being around Jack Nicholas. And, you know, Nicholas is, is, is you know, one of my big heroes uh, mm-hmm. for all the things that not only he accomplished, you know, on the golf course, but what he does away from the game as well. And and when you talk about that, there, there are a couple of things that come to mind to me that, you know, that uh, from what some things that I've heard Mr. Nicholas say, one, you know, kind of going back to, you know, watching, you know, the 86 masters and, and some of the highlights that, you know, videotapes and DVDs have been put together about that, you know, towards the end of it, he talks about, you know, you know, the, the, the famous story about how, you know, they click, you know, put the, you know, article on the, on the uh, refrigerator saying, you know, he was, you know, old, rusty, done, that sort of thing. And, you know, after having won yeah. it, you know, he makes the comment how, you know, I'm not too old and I'm not done. Right. And that, and I think about that with you for, you know, the things that you accomplished in your career and your battle back, because I don't think you're too old and I don't think you're done, but, you know, talk about, you know, you know, kind of the gumption, if you will, is part of, is part of the motivation. And, and we've had this conversation over the last couple of weeks where, you know, some folks and some media members haven't been uh, as nice to you as they should have been. You know, we've seen it even recently, unfortunately, uh, over some things over social media. But does that get in you a little bit to say, you know what, I'm not done and I'm not as bad as, you know, what you're what you're trying to make me out to be. And you know what, I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you that I can still play at a high level. Yeah, I I don't really have that motivation. Um really. Um I I just uh I I think a lot of this has been going on for a long time. Um but look, when you're when you're playing professional golf on the tour, there's there's these stages of life and we're all going through them. Um and I look back to to when I was playing the Asian Tour in 1998 uh, when I first started to get some more confidence in my game and in myself. You know, I wasn't married yet. I didn't have any children. And so it was all golf. And even up until when I was, you know, through high school and college and early years as a pro, you know, I didn't have any responsibilities um, that really, um, I mean, other than to myself and and how committed I was to playing and practicing. But then as as I got a little bit further on in my life and in my career, you know, Stephanie and I got married. And that's and she's you know she's an attorney so she was practicing everything and I was still kind of doing my thing but now I've added something else into my life that that 
you know, wasn't just about golf. So, you know, then we decided to have children, and then that, that took another piece of me um, away from, uh, you know, maybe playing golf think, and thinking golf 24-7. And I think when you're younger and you don't have these these great things in your life that, um, you know, it's easy to kind of just kind of go out there and play with your buddies. But I don't use any negativity really as motivation. I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't, at least I don't outwardly kind of portray that. I mean, I certainly think about some of the things, most of what I think about when I hear negative things are just the fact that I, I don't think that, that many people understand uh, what it's like to, to perform, to play the game. Um, to play the game at a high level and um, to have to sit there and listen to people that try to criticize and critique everything that you do when they've never even been inside the rope. So I, I kind of I, I take a lot of solace in the fact that many of the things that these writers um, do uh, and say are, are the things that all of us can do and say. I can learn. I could go to school and learn to be a great writer, Okay they can't go back and do, they'll never be able to do what I do. So I kind of take solace in that fact. And, um, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it is on me. Some of the things that people, they, they might say, um, I think they, they, they kind of upset you because they don't take the opportunity to, to ask you, ask you questions and things like that. But, um, like I said, I don't, I look at that as uh, not motivation, but just kind of frustration, I think, and, and maybe some anger at some of these people and just at the, the callous way that they um, approach um, people in general and just kind of throw out all sense of morality and uh, ethics um, in order to, um, to deal with their own internal issues because maybe they weren't as successful um, as they would have liked to have been. So, you know, some people use, you know, like Ricky Fowler is a perfect example, and I think he had an unbelievable attitude, um, at least in the media. I, I certainly don't know how he was feeling behind the scenes when they were talking about him being overrated. He certainly used that as motivation um, for himself. He's acknowledged as much. Um, now, whether he was really angry and, 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 and what he was doing in his workouts or what his personal feelings were behind the scenes. It's anyone's guess. We're all human. Uh, we're all affected by, by things in different ways, but it's how I think you um, kind of manifest everything. And, um, you know, you can let it simmer and stew and it can, it can ruin you. Or you can use that um, to just be accepting that people uh, just can't please everyone and that you just got to kind of move on. I think that's what he did. And I think that and his story is pretty incredible. Um you know, because he's, he's been such a great player. But um, anyway, everybody uses things in in different ways, and right. um, I, I don't I don't need any more motivation. Uh, you know, maybe 15 years ago it might have been different, but hey, you know, as we get older, we we allegedly get smarter. Um, <laughs> you know, or maybe or maybe we just realize maybe how dumb we were years ago. I don't know, but um, things things. I guess things just don't matter to me as much as they do anymore because uh, um, I just I just don't care. I've got other things that I need to worry about, and um, you know, I just I want to play golf. I want to continue to play golf, and and you know, I've said this, but maybe sure, maybe my PJ Tour career career might be have come to an end. I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, 
I still played five events this year and, and everything, but I, I would like to get out there one more time to um, kind of play it out and just kind of see. But um, I got to put the work in, and I've and I've uh, I've just got to do the things that that uh, uh, I got to work a little bit harder probably now at my age to uh, to ensure that I can get out there and stay healthy. And I think that's the most important part of all of it is is staying healthy. Yeah. Right. And you know, Sean, I I read an article an older article written by a guy by the name of Bob Whitbread, and he titled it Out of the Ashes, Rose of Phoenix. And in it, he details the 2002 BC Open, which you've talked about a few times, a tournament you probably should have won. But Bob in the article was caddying for Spike uh, Spike McRoy, who would go on yeah. you know, to win the event. And, Bob's caddy caddy for me, too. Is that right? Yes, yes. We call and, him Psychological Bob. <laughs> He's just... Yeah, that's that right. Nickname, Psychological Bob. Yes. It, you know, he 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 wrote a, a wonderful article, and you know, and he said, you know, kind of that's where everyone started to really take notice of you. He even discussed that that's you know probably you know where you got tired of losing, which helped you go on at yeah. Oak Hill. Talk, talk about you know talking you know, what you remember about that turn because he said you know you probably should have lapped the field that week. That's how well yeah. you were playing going into the final round. So, so yeah. talk about that and what you remember about Bob. Well, I think Bob first caddied for me um, in uh, – we played – it was up at the um, – I think it was in Pleasant Valley in Massachusetts. I cannot remember the name of the tournament. But the head pro there was a guy named Bob Moult. And Bob was someone that um, uh, I, I saw it out when I first turned professional – and I turned professional in January of 1992. Bob had led a, a contingent of people down to South Africa to play the Sunshine Tour. Anyway, so so we call him Psychological Bob, and, and I don't know. I think Bob was a, psych, a psychology major, and, and you talk to him. He's just got this very uh, calm voice and a, and a different perspective, a different way of thinking about um, playing the game. And it didn't always click with me because I always, I, I've never been someone that needed a, someone to pat me on the back or kind of give me a raw, I was always somebody, when I played basketball in high school, I needed you to yell at me. I was totally fine with that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Bob, you know, Bob and I worked together a couple of times and it's been a long, long time. And that's a name from the past. I've not seen Bob in a long time, but certainly, um, I kind of found my way, uh, you know, keeping my card a couple of years in 2000, 2001. And <clears throat> I uh, went to the BC Open and I was I was 19 under after three days. And I was trying to catch Jeff Sluman's scoring record, which I think at the time was 21 or 22 under. I think I shot 67, 65, 65, something like that. Um, had a hole in one on 17 on Saturday and promptly got a, uh, driving home back to the hotel, I got a I got a warning for talking on my cell phone in the car. I was so excited, <laughs> so you know, so um, you know, um, but yeah, certainly that was a tournament that I should have won. I I played I played pretty well. I think I think as I said last week, some of my play and maybe some of the reasons I haven't gotten in the top ten quite as much um, are maybe because of my conservative style of play. Um, that just didn't <clears throat> lend itself to firing at a lot of flags and, and therefore maybe making a lot of birdies, particularly when it really mattered on Sunday. So <clears throat> um, I think I kind of got into that trap a little bit 
on Sunday at the BC Open. And I, and Spike, I think, went out and shot six or seven under. I think he shot seven under on Sunday. Right. Um, yeah, and so I came. I remember coming down the last two holes, and I was tied. And 17's a par three, and I had a hole in one the day before. And uh pin was in the back, and I hit a shot. I think it was a, I think it was a six iron. It went just over the green, and I hit an unbelievable chip that lipped out and went about five feet by, and, and it was really the first putt that I remember missing all week. So it came down to 18, and I hit it a little bit to the right, and there's a big tree over there, some bunch of trees, and I had to hit some punch cut around the corner, and I hit it straight, and I, and I tried to chip it in and made bogey. I mean, because uh, I needed to make birdie to tie. So it was it was extremely disappointing. And um, because I really had played so well the first three days, um, you know, the, it, the ball striking didn't really leave me the, the last day. It was, you know, I think it was just the conservative style of not, you know, not wanting to make a mistake. And, and that really hurt me. And it really hurts everybody on Sundays. Um, mm-hmm. It's tough. It's tough to lead. Some Some guys... I mean, you look at Tiger Woods. I mean, how many major championships has he won? I think he's won all of them um, from the lead. He's never won one, I don't think, coming from behind. Um, and I think he's, you know, Y.E. Yang is one of the first guys to beat him when Tiger did have a 54-hole lead. So it's um, it's some guys just are able to, to, to hold on to leads and continue to play well. And, and um, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um a lot of guys don't even get a chance to be in contention in any of the major championships or, right. or events. But, but yeah, you know, it just it was a it was a conservative approach. I think in the end that that really kind of got me. And it came down to the last two holes because I was really striking the ball so well. And that might have been the year that I finished fourth in greens of regulation. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but it was a great ball striking year. Um, ultimately, you got to get the ball in the holes quicker, uh, and that's with the putter usually. So. Um, right. Disappointing. I disappointed. It really was. And I, and I referenced that in 2003 several times at the PGA when um, I think I just got sick of losing because I, I, I've been in contention a number of times. And, and I don't look at being in contention either as being you know, in first or second place. I mean, I think everybody within two or three shots of the league going into Sunday or even a couple more are, are, are in contention. And uh, so right. I, I've done that. But uh, – I don't know. You know, there's there's parts of me that, you know, I've talked with talk about flying. I mean, there's there's parts, you know, David Faraday certainly said that he hated the feeling of, of, of the nerves um, on any particular day, whether it's Thursday or Sunday. And that was really kind of what took away from his love of, of playing professional golf at a high level because he just, he was, he just hated that feeling of being nervous. And, right. um, and David, David was a Ryder Cup player and we played together a couple of times. Um, some people use that as, as motivation to go play well, and, and it's a great feeling. And, and I remember that was a feeling that I had in 2003 is I was nervous, but I wasn't nervous that I was going to screw up. I was nervous for the opportunity um, about how I was going to be received by the fans um, going into Sunday, whether anybody really wanted me to win, you know, what the writers were going to write. I mean, there was a lot of things besides just going out and playing golf that that I was thinking about, Um you know, when you're not playing well, um, you worry about hitting it all over the golf course. You worry about missing a one-footer in front of 10,000 people. You worry about those those types of things. Um, and when you, you – you have to try to figure out a way to put that out of your mind. But the nerves that I felt in 2003 were, were nerves of kind of expectation, 
and the fact that I thought that I was going to get my first win, and that's that is in fact what I what I did. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget my answer. I answered one question. Someone asked me about what I felt like about the next day, and I obviously said I you know clearly don't don't have any expectations. I don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow or how I'm going to feel, but I feel pretty good. And um, <laughs> and that when I look back and I see that. Um, see that interview I had to watch watch all the time um, I realized that I, I finally had reached a point where I um, was not going to let nerves the negative the negative part of that um, affect my game and it didn't and and in a lot of other times it, it just did so um, you know a lot of great memories and a lot of things that I could probably yeah. use to this day um to to kind of get myself up and and be a little bit more positive about my game. Um, sometimes I get a little bit too hard on myself. But I think we all we all we all do uh, that on occasion. But I uh, I love I love to reminisce about positive things. Uh, there's certainly been enough negative things that have happened to me in my career. Um, you know, poor choices, poor clubs, <laughs> poor play. Uh, but there's been some good stuff in there too. And and yes, I, yeah. I do like to listen. I do like to look back at that, and, and I just kind of smile sometimes. Speaking of, of, of looking back, and, you know, Sean, we've we've talked about the opportunities that uh, you had to play with the, the now uh, late, great Yogi Berra, and, and I saw a, a post from Stick Johnson. You want to talk about guys that caddy for you before. Stick Johnson yeah. caddy for you at, at the Hope. Uh, he posted a picture of you with Yogi and, and Sugar Ray Leonard. So I'm curious, you know, yep. Sugar Ray is another guy that I, I admired, you know, back in the 80s and, and, you know, his career and the things that he was able to achieve. What was it like playing golf with Sugar Ray Leonard? I, I enjoyed it very much. I think that's a, it's a very, it's a fun tournament to play. Um, both that, you know, I, I call it the Bob Hope, and I suspect I will forever. Um, that and the AT&T where you find yourself in this celebrity rotation and you get a, you get to be out there with people that, that, um, you know, like you said, you admire, uh, you follow their careers. What was interesting about Sugar Ray is at the end, you know, my father-in-law was a huge Muhammad Ali fan, um, you know, really, really loved everything that he did and uh, stood for. And uh, we were talking a little bit about a boxing, and, and uh, I had asked Sugar Ray if he might sign something for my father-in-law. Um, and uh, he said, absolutely. And what he did was I gave him my I gave him the address and everything, and what he did was he sent a signed um, set of boxing gloves to him. Wow. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But, um, you know, most of my responsibility in those events are to try to make sure, one, that, they, that they're having a great time. But what's interesting about these guys is when they're out of their element, where you take Yogi Berra, he'd been out of baseball for a long, long time. But the pressure existed. Sugar Ray Leonard had been out of boxing. And any of these other athletes that, that participated in other sports, I mean, you get them inside the golf course, they're like nervous cats. And it takes a lot of me and a lot of the other players to kind of just put your arm around them and say, hey, it's it's really not that big of a deal. Don't even look over there to those people or you know, just <laughs> pretend we're out here just playing golf. You know, I, I don't care what you shoot. I, I want to play. I want to play well. You want to play well. But, so there's a lot of that, and it's really, um, you know, surprising that that these that these players, some of yeah. the Hall of Fame players, that they just get out of their element a little bit, and they're just um, not that they're starstruck, but they're like a deer in headlights, and they just they just don't know how to respond. 
And, uh, you know, I've played with Roger Clemens and, and uh, you know, Carson Daly from the Today Show. He and I have played a couple times together. He's a pretty good golfer, too. So um, it, it's fun. It was it, it was always fun playing with um, those types just to kind of see how they were going to react um, yeah. when they were playing my sport. And um, yeah. so – that's a that's it. a great point, it. Sean, because, you know, you look at, you know, guys from other sports, right, whether it's, you know, Yogi or Sugar Ray or whoever it is, right? You know, golf is a solitary thing, right? I mean, the opponent yeah. in golf, you know, for the most part, we say is, you know, you're, you're playing the golf course. So, you know, really the golf course is your opponent. But when you've got guys that are playing other sports, I mean, I guess you can focus on, you know, Sugar Ray. Obviously, there's a guy right in front of him in the ring. So you're focused on what that guy is doing, right? You're not focused on the thousands of people in the arena or around the world watching the thing. Or Yogi, yeah. when you're playing baseball, the opponent's on the diamond. You're, you're paying attention to the pitcher. So that's sort of where your focus is. But when you're when you're out there on the golf course, it's you, right? You're the single yeah. focus of everybody, right? And now all of a sudden you become aware of the crowd, right? Well, there's a lot of idle time, you know. I don't know. I'm sure you can figure it out, you know, in the, in the round of golf of 18 holes. I mean, how many times you actually really focused on hitting a shot? Maybe five or six minutes um, for the entire four and a half hours that you're out there. So there's a lot of time of kind of walking around, looking for your ball, you know, hit a few in the crowd, mingling with them a little bit, um, watching your opponents play and hit great shots, hit poor shots. So there's a lot of things that you see out there. So the game, it's not as fluid as as other sports. You know, baseball has a little bit of – kind of the same types of things as golf. There's a lot of time in between pitches. There's a lot of time in between innings. So it's similar in that way. But whereas these other other sports are are a lot more fluid and things are coming at you a lot quicker um, and you're just reacting. And so in golf, you know, you hit a shot and you walk and you got times to think about um, whatever it is you want to think about. So it's difficult and um, – you know, you can kind of see that sometimes the guys get a little bit on edge, that maybe the game is a little bit slower than what they're used to. Um, and then it really gets slow in those type of events because they're being asked for autographs and they're having to stop. And so there's no fluidity to the game. And that's that's what hurts that's what hurts golf. And I think that's what's being discussed in the last few years with this pace of play, that, you know, people want to see, they want to see golf. They don't want to see guys just standing around lining up shots. They want to... They want to see the ball in the air, but um, okay. it is it is very solitary, and it it uh, is something that I I enjoy. I always love playing team sports, and uh, but I enjoyed um, not having to rely on anybody else. I was totally fine if I screwed up, um, and I think most people are. And I think where the frustration comes in when somebody else makes a kind of a careless mistake and it maybe affects your team, but that's how it is. You know, you win as a team and you die as a team. And, right. Um, but I just, I don't think I'd be a very good, very good team player uh, anymore. I just uh, done so much work by myself, um, you know, over the years, whether it's practice or just playing, playing rounds of golf out there um, by myself and my caddy. Um, I enjoy playing practice rounds by myself now. I just, I could kind of go out and just kind of do my own thing, and that certainly changed over the years too. But it's it's a it's lonely at times, and uh, but uh, it's very rewarding when you when you uh, uh, when you realize some of your goals and um, some of the things that you've worked hard for kind of come to fruition. And like right. I said, I'm totally fine. 
I'm totally fine accepting the bad because it's on me. I, 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 I've never, I don't blame my caddies for anything. I mean, sometimes, you know, you might get a yardage off or something like that. Um, but, um, you know, I like the fact that I can look in the mirror and, and I can know whether or not I gave my, gave my best effort or not. Right. And when Sean, you know, you you got the opportunity to play at the at the Bob Hope Classic a, a bunch of times. Just curious, mm-hmm. you know, was, was there ever a, a, whether it's an athlete from another sport or a, or a celebrity that was there that you were like, wow, I can't believe so and so is here. Maybe intimidated to go over and say hi, or you know, took a little gumption to go over and uh, introduce yourself to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I um, I think after after my win, I think that that I um, I felt very comfortable. With, uh, with with meeting people, you know, George Lopez and, of course, Justin Timberlake, you know, Mimpy, and I've, you know, kind of gotten to know him a little bit. Um, but there was, um, you know, as I told you last week, you know, my love of aviation uh, really trumps all else, I think, is, is, uh, in my life, you know, besides my kids, um, is I played one, one, one year with Burt Rutan. Now, Burt is an engineer and has designed countless uh aircraft and these uh space vehicles that are going up um he's had a lot of uh impact on the aviation community from design um from technological aspects with um you know he's just an interesting guy to talk to it took me a little while to kind of get him to come out of a shell a little bit one because i'm i'm not as smart as this person i mean he is a brilliant mind and so a lot of the times he's talking about coefficients and drag and all this stuff and and I know it on a lay person's level, but it just was it was hard for me because I didn't really know how to kind of go up and approach him during the round about his designs and just his thoughts on the space program, all these types types of things. So I would say, you know, definitely I was a little bit more intimidated, um, really kind of bringing that up just because I knew that I wasn't on his level. Um, you know, um, and so he's, he's definitely somebody that I, I enjoy playing with, but it took me a little while to kind of get him to come out a little bit. Um, cause I think just mentality, the, the mentality of, of him was, he seemed to be very introverted in the beginning and, uh, and maybe he just felt like we were all beneath him, you know, like on, on the IQ scale, <laughs> which we probably were. But he's just somebody that I, I was I was I wasn't sure exactly how I was gonna get him to come out, how I was gonna be able to get these questions um asked and answered. And um but as far as other celebrities, I never had a problem. I always uh I you know, if they were if they were playing an event, they knew what the event was about, they were there to to, you know, have a good time with, with the fans and, and certainly um, you know, we bounce questions off another, you know, he he wanted me to he or she wanted me to ask about golf or whatever, and I would ask them about what they did and um you know we we just uh, most of those uh people are just just great to be around and uh, absolutely infatuated with golf, so they're fun to play with. I'm talking to two thousand and three p g a champion Sean McKeel here on the armed Forces radio network and, and sean uh I saw a, a Twitter post. Uh, about dogleg reaper belts, which uh, very cool item. I saw the picture yeah. of you uh, sporting one of those things. How'd you come across those guys? Well, you know, those types of belts have really kind of been around. I've I've always been kind of this old school, uh, old school type belt. You know, it's just kind of black or brown. Um, you know, it's usually all I ever wore. Um, 
And uh, I found, I can't even remember where I found these belts. I think I was looking and I'd seen something. And I was like, you know what? Those are really cool. And I uh, I like the I like the colors. I like the way that, that it just it, it can fit, you know. A lot of times, you know, you put on a belt and the hole may not be in the exact perfect spot. Well, I mean, when you have a belt like this, I mean, the Dogleg Reaper belt is was uh, was pretty cool. So I, I sent it out a Twitter message. I think I followed him on Twitter. And yeah. then I got a follow right back, which allowed me to kind of instant message him. And uh, that's kind of how we hooked up. And, um, you know, I uh, they've been great. You know, the buckles are great. Uh, got lots of choices and, and things like that. And there are other belts that are out there um, that are very similar. But, but um, yeah, so, I you know, they sent me some belts for free, and I told them I'd kind of get it out there and, and uh, on social media a little bit, and, and hopefully that's helped a little bit. But, uh, yeah, they're they're cool. Like I said, um, different colors, and, and uh, you, can, you, you know, if you've got a little bit too much to eat the night before, you can loosen it up a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I think they did, the functionality of them, too, are, are uh, <clears throat> it's really great, too, to just slide it in there and, and, and uh, pull till it's tight enough. Yeah, no, they're they're very cool belts. I was uh, I was greatly impressed. I looked at you know I saw the picture obviously that you posted on Twitter and then uh, I checked out their Facebook page and uh, and their site. Very cool stuff. If uh, our folks uh, listening in want to check it out, go to doglegreaper.com. So uh, great stuff, and you can find them on Twitter Twitter as well and on Facebook. So uh, yeah, very stylish, very cool. They Sean, are. We- you know, I, I go ahead. I I. Uh... The belt buckles, like I said, I've always been kind of a traditionalist, you know, but, but um, the belt buckles were some of the things that maybe bothered me a little bit more at first, um, you know, but um, especially at my age. I understand it's kind of a young man's game and, and young man's dress. I still kind of get caught up in, in wearing khaki and navy, and, and, you know, you might see me in a few bright colors, but I just got this uh, <laughs> this – you know, I get stuck in the old traditional colors, and um, so it was. A, it was kind of a stretch. Even when I went to flat front pants a few years ago, it was a big stretch. So I chuckle now when I still see guys wearing pleats that uh, I was ever able to transition. So uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of cool stuff out there. You just kind of open up your mind a little bit. That's kind of finally I finally decided to do it. So I'm yeah. appreciative of what they're doing. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not the traditional belt buckle, so it's a, it's, it's a, uh, it's a different look, and it's very cool. So I hope our, yeah. our listeners will go check it out again. Doglegreaper.com. So very cool stuff. Yeah. Sean, our, our, uh, our first question from listeners, and we haven't gotten to many of them here today, so I want to make sure we get through some of them. Uh, is taking going back to uh, your double eagle at the uh, 2010 U.S. Open. The question is, Sean, what did you hit for your 2010, uh, your double eagle at the 2010 U.S. Open? And uh, what was your reaction? Did you did you see it go in? Well, I'll answer that part first. No, I did not see it go in. Um, anybody that's been to Pebble Beach, number six, um, you know, you tee off and you kind of hit downhill um, a little bit, and there's some bunkers on the left. You know, I was playing with VJ Singh, and we were both out there in the fairway. I think I'd hit three wood off the tee or something. And, and so the next shot is up a hill. I would say – you know, it's a pretty good cliff. It's probably 30, 40 feet, maybe 50 feet up from the bottom of the fairway, maybe to the top of the top. Um, and, I, you know, you kind of aimed. There was, a, there was a bush that you aimed at. Of course, I could kind of see the flag waving in the distance. Um, but I had 230 to the front, and the pin was on nine. And um, it was really firm. Uh, Pebble Beach, it's, what a great time of year to play that place in June. Um, it was cool, but 
but very firm. And I hit a three iron and just kind of hit it up in line with the bush that I was aiming at. And, and um, you know, I, I just remember it just uh, this tremendous roar just kind of came out. And I was like, well, I had to have gone in. And, and so it was, it was really, really special. Um, it really was. Um, that was the second one that I'd made. Uh, I made one in the Pro-Am on a, when I was playing a Nike tour, I think 1999, I think. But um, to do this on Father's Day Sunday of the United States Open Championship at Pebble Beach um, was extremely special. But uh, my wife was there. She saw it go in. and I got the ball out of the hole, and, and I walked over to her and, and gave her the ball because, uh, you know, my mom was battling cancer, and she ultimately passed away. Uh, four months after that and um uh, so she had that ball and when i got back i had a something special made for my mom um, a, a plaque and i had it put in there and um instead of giving it to my father i gave it to my mom so uh you know yeah so that was a, it's, a, it's a great great memory and uh my dad has it and uh he wanted to give it back to me and i told him i said no you just keep it and and just remember remember you know, that I was out there playing for her. So um, wow. a, lot of, a lot of special things happened to me that day. Yeah, no kidding. That's fantastic. So, you know, based on all of that, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, um, our listener wrote in and asked, you know, a sub, you know, subsequent question, where does that rank amongst your favorite memories out there on the PGA Tour? Oh, it's very high up there. Um, <clears throat> you know, really, I, I, I do think a lot about the 2003 PGA and, and, uh, and, and those, and that, but, um, uh, I think about the first time that I got onto the PGA tour, um, uh, my, my mom and my sister and my, my, of course my dad was caddying for me. We were playing out in, in Palm Springs and I played okay the first couple of days and I had a couple of lackluster days in the middle and it really came down to the last day. And I remember on 17, um, which is where I made my last hole in one, um, you know, in 2012, I uh, I made a really long putt for birdie, and uh, I remember the pin was on the left and I was on the right. I made about a 40-footer. Um, and, of course, there weren't any leaderboards. You didn't really know exactly where you stood. And I got to 18, um, pretty good par four, hit a hit a drive out there, and I think the pin was front left, and I had a six iron into the green. And um, I, I I just was hitting it so well, I just went right at the flag, and I hit it about six or seven feet. Now, I missed the putt, which was disappointing, but prior to make prior to hitting the putt, somebody came up to my I think it was my dad and told him that all I had to do was two putt and I was going to have my PGA Tour I was going to be in a playoff. So there might have been some of that, but I remember that as much as anything, um, being able to share, um, getting my PGA Tour card with my sister and my mom and my dad, and we had another my uncle was out there as well and another friend of my dad's that were out there watching me. So. Um, that's a memory that I'll, that I, that I remember for a long time too. And, and mm-hmm. probably ranked up there as high as any of them. Just, uh, the fact that I was getting my tour card for the very first time and, and just the excitement that was around there. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say all of the work that I had done because I'd only gotten out of school in what December of 91. So I'd been out of school just a couple of years, um, you know, when I got my, got my card. So that's a, that's a memory that's, uh, that sticks with me as well. Sean, our next question is, have you ever considered writing a book about everything you've had to deal with from getting on tour to winning a major, the internal issues you've dealt with after that, your injuries, and then ultimately your comeback? Uh, yes, I have. And I have things kind of written down. I, I keep a journal 
Um, and it's funny that that question comes up because um, my caddy, who uh, his name's Adam, and he um, caddied for me last week in, in Houston, and um, he asked me, he goes, how far along are you in your book? And he's been on me and on me for the last year or so to write a book. And um, I think there's a lot of things to think about when you when you do that. You want to you want to give some sort of positivity to the people who are reading it. I don't think like writing an autobiography would be something that. I mean, certainly there would be a lot of a lot of that in my life. Uh, a, a lot of that in the book about my life, I suppose. And but I would like to know how how I could write the book. Um, to where it would kind of exude a, a positivity about the things that have happened to me, even though there have been so many, um, I would say, negative things that have happened. Um, so, yes, I have I have thought about it. I've, I've got several titles that I've thought about, um, you know. Um, Did you share a few? Kind of written down. Well, I mean, I was thinking one the other day, and and I think this, this you know, I think as uh, – as your as your career has evolved, as my career has evolved, uh, certainly the way I think of my golf game now as to what I did the year after I won the PGA, um, you know, one of them was like, uh, you know, major disappointment, um, you know, type Ooh. of thing. I'm trying to I – would, I would like to use something like, like you know, major championship or something. I'm, I'm clearly I'm not a professional writer. Now my wife is a is a, an attorney and a very good writer, so maybe I could get her to help me. But if anybody's listening and want to help me write this book, I I certainly <laughs> love it because I I think there's a lot. I have a, we all have so many great stories. All of our lives are uh, adventurous and exciting and thrilling and sad and angry. I mean, we we run the gamut with emotion, and um, you know, so I think each of us. Uh, would be fully capable of, of writing writing a memoir or writing something about our life that might instill some some goodness in other people. I mean, I think of all the things. You know, my caddy brought this up to me the other day. He says, he goes, what what year was it that you saved those people when their car, you know, was going was in the river?" Right. And I said that was nineteen. I said that was nineteen ninety three. And he said, "Well, isn't that funny? Ten years later, you won the PGA." And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that way." But this person, the caddy, Adam, is a uh, an unbelievably positive person, very smart, and uh, really brings a lot of great things to my attention that I kind of overlook. But, um, I, yes, I mean, I, I, I could go on, really, but I, I, I've thought about it. I just I, w- I would like to write it in a way, write something in a way that I think people would find not only interesting, but might be able to just take something away, um, you know, that might help them. And whether it's written towards uh, towards younger people, I enjoy speaking to younger people. I enjoy speaking to college teams. Um, you know, I, I spoke to the University of Memphis team a couple of months ago at their facility, and and um, you know, there's really the one message I think I, I left with them, and I would leave with everyone is that um, something that's affected me, and I think don't let your life kind of or your your career really dictate you know your life and how you are as a person, because I can tell you that. You know, there are times that if I go out and I have a great round of golf, and this is, of course, when I'm playing more regularly, but uh, I go out there and have a great tournament. Of course, everything's put in the paper, you know, how what your rounds were, you know, unfortunately how much money you make or whatever. Right. Uh, you feel good about it. I'm like, yeah, let's go out, Stephanie. Let's go out and let's go to the movies and let's go celebrate and let's go entertain and do all these things. And when I come back and I've had, and I've had a bad tournament, or I've had a bad round, or 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 whatever, I've really let let that affect. Um, really, my life, and I just and I become kind of a recluse, and I think I really become more that way in the last couple of years. 
um, just because it's not fun. It's not really a lot of fun to go out. You know, people ask me about my golf, and I don't really have any great. I don't really have any great results to to, to share with anybody. Um, so that's really my my one message to the young people um, that are wanting to play professional golf. And of course, that applies to everyone. Um, you know, it's hard. You know, you have a great day at work. You feel great. You'll come home, hug your kids, and and uh, you know, maybe have a glass of wine with your wife, and and uh, you, you have a great great night together. Um, and then and then you you have a couple bad days at work, and and you come back, and all you want to do is just kind of sit in your room and watch TV or figure it out, or or you know think about you know what you need to do to get better, and and those are the things, and it's it's a it's a vicious. Uh, cycle that you kind of get into and uh i've certainly found myself in that way so there would certainly be some of that stuff i think in there and um but uh it might be good for me to uh to kind of get this out there and whether or not it ever got published or even even got read by a single person i think it might be something good for me to do yeah no i think it would be well obviously i think it'd be therapeutic for you to put it there and i think it would be a great read i think there's so many things that you know, you have, you know, dealt with, achieved and, 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 and done with your life that, uh, that people need to know about. And like I say, you know, you, you know, even going all the way back to the intro, uh, with bringing you on the yeah. show, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, your career is something that doesn't get enough, uh, recognition. Everyone wants to focus on the one major win and not really look at the sum total of the resume that you have uh, for your time playing the game of golf out on the PGA tour and then even away from the game, it, it, uh, I think that uh, would be great for people to understand and read, and I think they would ultimately love reading. It. Yeah. Well, you know, there's no doubt that I think the the stress of uh, the stress of winning, you know, a major championship is my first win. I think uh, really, you know, it took a toll on me. I'm kind of beyond it now, I think, but it really took a a, a bigger toll on me than I thought um, in the beginning. Um, you know, you look back on things and. Uh, you kind of think, well, I never really thought that it was going to impact me as as much as it did, but it certainly did. You know, I, uh, you know, dealing with heart disease and and uh, you know dealing with the shoulder surgery that I had and the six anchors that the Dr. Andrews put in my shoulder just really it changed my golf swing. And you know, I don't think anybody, most people don't know this that you know when I was a young person. Um, you know, my mom battled mental illness, and um, you know, I spent a lot of times, a lot of time. Um, in Wyoming and in Colorado and in Washington state, you know, because my mom, my dad was flying, flying for FedEx and he didn't have a way to care for his two kids because my mom spent a lot of time of her life in and out of and weeks and months at a time. And so I saw a lot of really, really bad things when I was younger. And, uh, I mean, wow. uh, that, that, that affected me and, and, and some of them had to do with the police and my mom and, and, uh, seeing those things as 10, 11 years of age, the way they treat, treat mental patients. It's, uh, it was disturbing to me, and it's something I'll never forget. But, but uh, you know, again, we all we all have things that that uh, that shape our lives and and uh, you know make us men and make us women, and and uh, you, you gotta you gotta figure out a way to deal with some of these things. And and again, so maybe maybe writing these things down and 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 uh, and sharing these things might you know might be of some interest to people. And um, Absolutely. And maybe how they could, and how, and, and you know, might even provide a little bit of benefit for them. So, uh, Absolutely it's something right. I've thought about doing, but I just don't know. I don't really know how to do it. I don't know how to start. You know, John Feinstein wrote a book about me and the other three major winners in uh, uh, a couple of years ago, and they, it's called Moment of Glory. Um, it's a book about 
um, the major championship win, of course, and and also, um, you know, maybe some of our life, well, a lot of our life, really, kind of how how we got to be major champions. So there's a book out there you can find, Moment of Glory by John Feinstein, is a good friend of mine. Um, you know, and I, I almost think that I need some sort of ghost writer or or um, whether it's John or or somebody else out there to kind of help help me. I, I I can tell you that I bought I bought two books this year on how to write a book. Uh, so <laughs> so I've been I've been reading those and and uh, I'm trying to how to get things out there. But but uh, you know it's got to be interesting for people. I mean certainly my career hasn't been anything that people have maybe wanted to emulate. I suspect that when the younger people, um, when they think uh, about who they'd like to, to, to be, they're not going to say Sean McKeel. I understand, and that's not that's not an issue for me. you got to set your standards high. I mean, go for the top. Shoot for the best player in the world and then settle for something less. And I think that's, I think that's okay. Um, just be careful not to set your goals so high that you're, you're defeated when you, when you don't reach some of them. Um, you know, it's a tough sport. It's tough to win. Um, it's tough to keep your card. Many guys that have played the PGA Tour never keep their card more than once or twice. You see the guys that have been on the tour once, then they're on the web.com for two or three years, and they get back, back on tour. It takes something very special to play in almost 400 events that I've played in. It just It's not for everybody. And, um, you know, it's uh, – so there's a lot of great things that I have uh, to say. It, uh, we could spend a week probably talking about all of them, but – um, uh, you know, so back back to the book. You know, maybe I'll, like I said, maybe I'll do it. I just got to find the right, I got to find the right, right way and the right person to help bring some of this stuff out. Yeah, no, right and, and John Feinstein, there isn't, there probably isn't a better writer out there than, than John Feinstein. Hopefully, uh, we can maybe, maybe we can put a little pair together. And uh, you yeah, guys I don't know. I got John's number, so all I got to do is call him. But I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I, exactly. I don't know how any of this stuff really works. And um, but it's an interesting question because from your from your listener because I I uh, my caddy uh, is always asking me how far along am I with my book? Have I finished it? As a matter of fact, he gave me a book um, about John John Mahaffey um, the other day, is signed to him and everything else, and it's called Hogan Boy. And I've not read it, but but Adam didn't find it particularly interesting, um, you know. And I so he's like, well, you know, you surely you can make this book, you know, better than this one. And I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it might be, it might be a great read to me. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't find it. He just didn't find it interesting. I don't know. But um, uh, so he gave that for me to read to kind of peruse and, and see how he wrote his book. And uh, you know, I'm always, right. I always take you know, some encouraging words. And if there's somebody out there that wants to help me move this thing along, I'd probably be happy to do it. There you go. All right. Let's, let's, we got to try to make that happen. Sean, before we let you go, um, another thing that people, not enough people probably know about outside of, you know, the Memphis or the, or the mid South area is that uh, you do a lot of work for the make a wish foundation chapter there in Memphis. So uh, let our listeners know about that and how they can get involved and try to help out. And if it's not in their local chapter, if they're not in the Memphis or the South area chapters around the country. Yeah. I mean, you can always find if you're, if you're local, uh, if you have a local chapter, just type in make a wish of whatever city you're living in and you'll find the nearest, um, you know, kind of we, mine right now is it's, it's make a wish of the mid south, and that encompasses of uh, West Tennessee, um, all of Arkansas, and North Mississippi. So we get a lot of children and a lot of families um, from those areas, and uh, 
Uh, Make-A-Wish is an incredible organization. I've, I've learned a lot about myself, a lot about my family, a lot about childhood illness and how it affects their families, um, you know, through them, through all these, these great, wonderful women that I work with. And Stephanie and I are so lucky um, to have met these people. Um, you know, having a relationship with St. Jude like I have um, really kind of got me involved with kids early on. It's uh, arguably one of the best charities, probably the best children's hospital in the world. Do so many good things, have cured so many cancers, uh, have given kids an opportunity to live longer lives uh, and, and everything. So it was an easy, uh, kind of an easy choice for me to to, to join forces with them. Um, I love it. Um, as a parent, I, I, uh, I kind of feel a lot of I wouldn't say sympathy, but just a lot of sadness, I think, for these these moms and dads that um, have children that are affected with these horrible illnesses. Um, but my chapter is, you can find it at midsouth.makeawish.org, um, or you can, you know, just type in makeawish.org, I think, and that will pull it up for, for your area. And if you want to, want to participate, uh, um, I know that the what they're doing, are, they're doing so many great things, and, and there are so many great charities out there, but I feel like giving um, these children a chance, um, you know, is, uh, is, is, is a great thing to be involved with, and, uh, and Stephanie and I absolutely love it. Yeah, no, that's great stuff, and uh, kudos to you and, and to your wife for the great work that you're doing, and and, uh, and the great work, obviously, that the Make-A-Wish Foundation does, you know, across the country, so they're they, you know, great charity and a great uh, great thing that you well, guys do. yeah. I- Right, and and there was something that I saw. If anybody has an opportunity to see this, whether it's I, I don't know if it's at a theater, or you can you can probably type it in on online. There was a <clears throat> a young boy out in uh, California that got his wish, and they they, they made a movie about it. It's called Bat Kid, and uh, yes. this young boy, yes, and it was uh, we had a private showing here in Memphis over the summer, and um, you know, just the whole city of San Francisco came out and adopted this young this young boy. I, I follow him on Twitter, <laughs> so and, and uh, <laughs> so I think his mom and dad do the Twitter thing, and, and they followed me back. And I haven't seen a lot of posts. I don't know how he's doing, but um, and of course, of course, never met him. But it, but he certainly made a lot of fans, um, and it's just an incredible uh, inspiration, really, about the organization as a whole. But. Uh, you really fall in love with this one kid, and which is it's so easy to do. Um, right. And uh, it just really gives uh, kind of the spirit of Make a Wish and what what it's all about. Um, so, uh, you know, everybody's kind of philanthropic in their own way. But um, if you're out there looking and you're thinking about becoming involved in in, in some way, uh, Make a Wish is definitely a good choice. Absolutely, it is. And Sean, uh, before we let you go, you, we talked to you know, here about uh, social media. Let our uh, listeners remind us how we can follow you over social media. Uh, at Twitter, I'm at Sean McKeel PGA, and I'm uh, just Sean McKeel on both LinkedIn and um, Facebook. So I'm there, and and uh, <clears throat> again, happy to entertain anybody's questions or comments or even some criticism. It's okay with me. Uh, I've I, understand that that's part of that's part of it so um reach out to me and and uh see if i can, can give you some insight into to the things that i've uh been able to accomplish or not accomplish or whatever you want to <laughs> ask me i'm i'm there 
Well, you're, you're, you're certainly an open book every week that uh, you join us here on this show. Hopefully, you know, we can we don't get uh, much of the negative piece, but there's so much positive that uh, that you've achieved, like I say, that uh, needs more recognition and the things that you've done yeah. uh, off the course, well, Sean, as well. So thank you for that. You know, the negatives, all those things that are, are, are kind of quashed by the, the the events that happened yesterday in, in Paris, France. Um, right. You know, as a, my father, my father was a veteran. And, um, you know, I think all of us should be completely disgusted by what's going on in the world these days. And uh, so certainly we have a lot of gratitude and and heartfelt appreciation for the men and women of not only our military, but other militaries around the world that are fighting these these people that just have and this ideology that that we don't all share. And it's unfortunate. Uh, I hope some way, and, and, you know, I I kind of worry about my kids and how they're going to grow up and I, I'd certainly like to know that we could eradicate that. I know we're trying our best, so so uh, keep on fighting out there, guys and girls. Yes, indeed. Thank you for mentioning that, Sean. All right, Sean. Uh, thanks for uh, for your time today. It's always you know such a pleasure to uh, to sit back and listen to you share your stories and your insights with us. We've got you know dozens and dozens of questions over the last couple of weeks. So very thrilled for for how many people are uh, are wanting to uh, reach out to you. And we're going to get to more of those questions hopefully the next time that uh, your schedule allows us, whether that's that next week yep. or uh, in the weeks coming. So thank you for being willing to do it. Thanks for your time today. And we look forward to catching up with you again, hopefully real soon. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Hope you have a great show. All right. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Yeah. Okay. That's 2003 PGA champion and so much more, Mr. Sean McKeel. Again, uh, the great stuff that he achieved over the course of his career. Please look it up. You know, uh, like I said at the top, he is far from a one-hit wonder, and you would be uh, really hard-pressed to find somebody who uh, had as much success in the early part of the 2000s that Sean McKeel has had. So uh, we, uh, we appreciate Sean's time again this morning. All right, folks, we'll wrap up the show. I uh, hope you'll come back here in just a minute. We're gonna, we've are gonna we got a word from our friends over at the French Lick Resort plus the uh, Salute Military Golf Association. You want to talk about a group of folks doing some great things, the Salute Military Golf Association is definitely one of them. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating, or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. You just can't beat this weather. The leaves are starting to change. It's the perfect time to get away to French Lick Resort and play the courses the champions play. This year, the Pete Dye course at French Lick has hosted the Senior PGA Championship and the legends of the LPGA Championship. Play our Donald Ross course and feel like 1924 PGA champion Walter Hagen. Fall is the perfect time to play the courses the champions play at French Lick Resort. Book our Hall of Fame package now at FrenchLick.com. 
You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode. I want to you know, thank Sean McKeel for, you know, what a wonderful time and so insightful for the things that he was uh, able to achieve over the course of his career and that he's doing now. So we appreciate Sean's uh, friendship and uh, the fact that he joins us just about every single week now on Next on the T. So uh, thank you very much, Sean. I uh, also want to remind you about the great book that our friends Dave Stockton Jr. and his father, Dave Stockton Sr., have out there called Own Your Own Game. You hear me talk about it almost every single week here on the show, folks. Remember, so much of the game, and you heard Sean talk about it today, is played in that five-inch space between our ears. So get your mind right. In this latest book, the Stocktons let you know how to use your mind to play winning golf. Own Your Game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Mr. Stockton at one of his highly sought-after corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion player both on the regular tour, the senior now champions tour, as well as being a revered coach. He shows you how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently, and most importantly, right, folks, enjoy the game more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy. And for a couple of extra dollars, Mr. Stockton will even autograph it for you. The Stocktons are also, they've started a, a new partnership with a company called Back Nine Greens. For our listeners out there in California, check out BackNineGreens.com. If you're like me and you hate cutting the grass, check out their great uh, you know, artificial turf landscapes. Plus, their great putting greens. They're absolutely amazing. And I'm telling you, absolutely amazing. You, you take a look at these things, you're going to be shocked at what you see. They're so fantastic. They have an unmatched passion for installing the highest quality artificial grass products, including synthetic grass lawns and synthetic turf putting greens. So fantastic, folks. I can't, I can't say it enough. Check them out online. Back nine greens. All right, everybody. Uh, my sincere thanks one more time to Sean, uh, to uh, Sean McKeel for joining me today. And, uh, and for you guys for tuning in, we know you, like I say at the top, you have a thousand things you can listen to, and we are so excited that you have made Next on the T one of them. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me, my co-host Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find us on the Armed Forces Radio Network, armedforcesradionetwork.org. You can find us on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Player.fm, SoundCloud. We are all over the net. Every week on Thursday Night Tailgate, we are uh, joined by uh, legends from stars uh, from around the NFL. We're official partners of the NFL Alumni Association. So, you know, we've got great former players on there sharing great stories. You can find us uh, online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. This show online at Next on the T. Dot net from either site you can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free plus keep up to date with who some of our future uh, guests are going to be as well thanks again for choosing to be here today we appreciate you guys the very most until next week hit them straight my friends you've been listening to next on the tee with christmas carol where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.
Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.